Hewler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. What's going on, Steelers Nation Radio? High noon on a Thursday afternoon. That can only mean one thing. It's time to go inside the electric factory for the next 120 minutes here on SNR. Rock and rolling with you on a Thursday in for Arthur Motes. Today, a familiar voice, Adam Crowley. And Yin's already know to drill. You want to chime in anytime over the next two hours, you can find us on Twitter at Wesley Euler. Adam is at underscore Adam Crowley. Dad body. There he is. Now we're talking. And you know what, Adam? Speaking of dad bodies, let's just get right into it here. You know who doesn't have a dad body? Mm. Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, did you see this guy out at the food bank yesterday? He, he looks like he's 22 years old again. He's looking pretty good, pretty slim, pretty trim. The beard's all trimmed up. I, I Like, we joke about this a lot, right? Like, people, like... Uh, evaluate Benjamin Roethlisberger's physique like he's in a swimsuit contest and it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time right like man you see him yesterday and he does he really looks good he's walking around he's waving at people in cars he looks healthy he looks happy he looks like a guy who's ready to play some football I think it's important for a couple of reasons chief among them is that Jake Glazer's a jerk <laughs> and he ripped Ben Roethlisberger's fitness regimen and he said Ben is allergic to exercise or something along those lines. And, well, Ben's obviously proven him wrong. I mean, Ben looks as good as Ben Roethlisberger's ever looked. But i got to be honest, I've never really cared about Roethlisberger's physique. I don't care if he's a little portly. I don't care if he's in the quote-unquote best shape of his life. Hey, if that's best for him, then good for him. But... I don't think Ben Roethlisberger's ability to play the quarterback position at a high level has ever really had anything to do with how much pork roll he's got <laughs> around the midsection. Like, I just don't think that that's his game. If Cam Newton comes in and he's overweight, there's going to be a problem. If Lamar Jackson comes in and he's overweight, there's going to be a problem. But Ben Roethlisberger, if he's got some extra poundage, I don't so much care. To me, the issue is his elbow. Is his elbow healthy? If he's fat and his elbow's good... I'm good. If he's skinny and his elbow's not good, it ain't good. I think the Steelers also have some responsibility here to protect him a little bit this year. And not from an offensive line standpoint, Wes, but from a pitch count standpoint. Hmm. And that doesn't mean, okay, he's going to throw the ball 30 times a game, and we're not going to let him throw it more than that. But lean on the running game, lean on a league-best defense, let Ben throw the ball when he needs to, and I think he can keep him healthy for 16 games and keep that elbow rested. I think that's the important thing. So you talk about that pitch count. I'm with you, but I wonder what it looks like, right, when it actually plays out. Because we know this. Last time Ben Roethlisberger was healthy, right, he led the league in passing yards. And you're always much better with remembering this kind of stuff than I am. But I believe that season the Steelers threw the ball something like 67 68% of the time. Yeah. Does that sound correct? That was it their is, yeah. that was kind of their, you know, their run pass ratio, if you will, was like sixty-eight to quick math, thirty-two. Uh if we want to see this all play out, right? A little bit more of a pitch count, a little bit more of a balanced offense. What does that look like to you? Is it more sixty forty? Is it even closer to fifty fifty than that? What are you thinking? 
I think you have to still understand that Ben is a huge part of the offense. The Steelers felt like their best recipe for success a couple years ago was let the quarterback loose. They're not just going to say, we don't need Ben (laughs) if Ben's back and proven to be healthy. But I thought even back then, if you get down closer to 60-40, you're doing a good thing. Because who throws the ball more than anybody in college football? It's Mike Leach. Mike Leach, Mike Leach, Mike Leach. Washington State, Texas Tech under Leach, threw the ball 70% of the time. The Steelers in the NFL should be nowhere near that number. I think (laughs) it's obnoxious. I get what they were doing. But I, I think at some point it can become counterproductive to the efforts overall. I think it hurts the defense. I think it leaves you more prone to turnovers. And I just don't think it's the best way necessarily to control a game, especially now when you don't have A.B., you don't have Martavis Bryant. The Steelers' receivers, I think, will prove to be good, but they're not going to be as dynamic as that group was. Run the football. It protects Ben's arm. It also protects the defense, which I thought got worn down by the time the Baltimore game Absolutely. rolled around last year. I think it's the best recipe for success. And, hey, if you need Ben to bail you out, okay, you want him healthy to do that. If at the end of the season you're 7-5 and five and it's okay go time, we got to win, and you think the best chance to do that is to unleash Ben, fine. But he needs to be healthy at the end of the year. The best chance to have that happen, I think, is to preserve him somewhat early on. Again, it ain't saying 35 times that's it. It's thoughtfully trying to implement more run. You know what else it'll help with? Last thing here, that as you were rightfully making some some very true points there. One thing that you didn't th- touch on that I think it will also help, just to take this a step further, and they got to be better in the red zone this year. Point blank, period. Oh, yeah. Two years ago, they were the best team in the NFL in the red zone. And yes, the artist formerly known as number 84 was a big part of that, absolutely. Ronald. Ronald. But... You know what? James Conner scored a lot of red zone touchdowns too. Yep. It, it wasn't it wasn't just Mr. Big Chest and it wasn't just Juju having a really good sophomore season. All those things are obviously intertwined. But the Steelers I think with a more balanced offense now absent of the artist formerly known as number 84, I think that'll help them in the red zone too and they again went 2 years ago best team in the league in the red zone. Last year I think they were third or fourth worst in terms of worst were they they at the very bottom of the barrel yep yeah that's man that's a drastic turnaround I mean that's a complete 180 from you want to go from worst to first not from first to worst and we saw that play out this past season struggles in the red zone that's another thing too that I think we know this all things with a football team are intertwined right the offense has ripple effects the defense has ripple effects special teams all these different things are intertwined but they got to find a way to get back to being Hey, I'm not saying they have to be the best in the NFL, but they need to certainly not be at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to red zone production. I think you nailed it because there's this, I think, prevailing national narrative. Well, Steelers aren't going to be great on offense. Who said they need to be? Hmm. They need to be good or above average if this is to be a playoff team. There's seven playoff teams in each conference right now. They were 8-8 last year with a really bad offense, and it wasn't just the quarterbacks. There were injuries to Juju, James Conner, and the list goes on and on. There are plenty of problems that they had on that side of the ball. With Ben coming back, the weapons that they do have, young but good, Eric Ebron thrown into the mix, the ninth-graded offensive line by Pro Football Focus, they should be okay. And you're not going to be worst in football in the red zone when you've got a better quarterback and whenever you feel like you've got good weapons surrounding him. If they're average, fine. They'll 
be okay. If they can average 22, 24 points a game this year on offense, oh. they're a 10-win team. And and I made that bet with Chris Carter Uh-oh. on DKPittsburghSports.com on his podcast. And I said, if the Steelers score 22 points per game, they're going to win 10 games. Hmm. And if they don't, I'll wax my entire body. So wait, if they score 22 points per game and don't win 10 games, you'll wax your entire body? Enti- I mean, we're talking entire body? Chest? Entire body. A lot of that will be tough to prove, Wes. <laughs> but hey, I guess I will be waxing up, my entire well, does body. Does that include your beard, too? Does your beard get? Because you got some nice... I know oh, that, yeah. that radio is a, is a uh, audio medium here, obviously. And you and I are FaceTiming each other so that you know we can be on the same page here. The audience uh-huh. cannot see the crowd, man. But I tell you what. I mean, he's got like the Tom Brady five o'clock shadow going on. You know, oh, like, God. like I know it looks like I just it took rolled me three out of bed. Weeks to grow, yes, too. I, it looks like I just rolled out of bed, but it, I've actually been working on this for a month. I mean, you, you got it going on over there. I'll give it to you. Okay, twenty-two points a game. They'll win at least ten games. Yeah, I agree with that, right? The mark in the Killer B era was always 31, right? Isn't that what Ben always wanted was 31 points a game? Because then you're getting a touchdown essentially every quarter plus a field goal mixed in there as well, too. Woo! Yeah. 22? Maybe 24. How about 24? How about three touchdowns and a field goal? You like 22. Why, <sighs> why did you land on that? Was there, is there any particular reason that you landed on just because you were confident in the defense's ability to hold opposing teams under 20, 21 or under? Is that why? Well, okay, 22? so there, that's a good question. There's a couple of things here. Uh, I, when I went back and looked, I believe this is what my reasoning was. I mean, my God, it's quarantine. I'm tired. <laughs> I think the dead average offensive team in the NFL, like 15th, 16th ranked team in the NFL, points per game rank, scored 22 points per game. So I think that's why I came down with that. But there's the stat that Kevin Colbert threw out there a couple of months ago that with Ben Roethlisberger quarterback, when the defense allows – 20 or fewer points, the Steelers are 120 and 20 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's insane. 121 and 20. Like, when Ben scores some points, they win like 80% the of their win games. games. Yeah. And they lost three of those games last year where the defense gave up fewer than 20 hmm. because the offense just wasn't good enough. Sure. If Ben had played last year, this is an 11 win football team, in my opinion, or at least a 10 win football team and absolutely a playoff team. So, they don't need to be great. The defense can be great. I think you need one unit to be great, truly great, to win games in the NFL. That's the way I look to Kansas City. Yeah, I was just uh, going to say, that, right? That's the Chiefs. They have a good defense, yep. and they have a great offense. And that I think that's fine. So if the Steelers have a great off, uh, defense excuse me, and an okay offense— I think that's playoff yeah, maybe good. okay for the Chiefs' defense, too. Maybe even calling them good was me giving them too much credit. They're above average. Yeah, and they were better down the stretch. Right? They were. But they were opportune. I, yeah. I, I think I think the Steelers are destined to be a playoff team just if the offense is average. And I don't know if we've ever really seen a Steelers offense with Ben Roethlisberger not be average, right? I mean, even in 2008 right. when at times it seemed to be a struggle, he'd always find a way to put it together in the fourth quarter. So I think it's a fair expectation if he's healthy, and I expect that if the Steelers manage him a little bit uh, differently than they did before – that he will be able to stay healthy. I think so, too. And, right, if that all happens that you just laid out, I think we're very confident, again, everything intertwined, that the defense will be able to hold teams to 21, 20 or less points a game. Because, man, 
they were around that number last year, and like you kind of touched on there, they were getting no help from the offense last year. That's You saw that all come to fruition in the Baltimore game where they finally just kind of <laughs> – they had been carrying the team and they had been winning games and they had never been able to protect a lead, really. I mean, that's something – I know we've talked about this. We've given them a lot of credit in this regard. Guys like Cam Hayward and TJ Watt and Bud Dupree. <laughs> Stephon Tewitt, Javon Hargrave, now uh, <laughs> across the Commonwealth. They got, they, they've they led the NFL in sacks, what, three straight seasons now? And doing that last year was insanely impressive because they didn't have the fourth quarter where they're up seven points, they're up nine points, the other team has to throw the ball, and they can just pin their ears back and go get the quarterback. Bingo. Like, they never had any of those games where it's the second quarter and the Steelers all of a sudden are up 17-3, to three and the other team's got to score some points. Like, they never had that, particularly the last six weeks of the season, Adam. It was, in fact, the opposite. Offenses were going in and game planning and just being like, hey, just don't hurt us. Don't turn the ball over. Don't let their defense score points. Don't let their defense put their offense in opportune situations. If we got to go three and out and punt, if we got to get a first down or two and punt, that's fine. And we then obviously saw those those struggles the last few weeks of the season when, when teams kind of started to approach it that way. But, yeah, all these things are intertwined. And, man, imagine what the Steelers' defense – we know how great they were last year. You get to it for the full season, hopefully, and, and, and you get some of the other – you know, the health fortune that you had on defense aside from to it last year. I mean, dude, these guys could be hands down the, the best unit in the league. We could talk about them like people were talking about the Niners this year. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I even just saw in Pro Football Focus – that the Steelers had the highest-ranked defense in the NFL in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And and that's without the benefit right. of holding that's those almost leads. almost never having a lead. Uh, so when people talk about the Steelers' defense maybe regressing because they're a little bit more concerned with the inside linebacker position and they're just concerned about the depth overall, and really the Steelers' defense was lucky from an injury standpoint last year, I always bring this up. And there's an analogy that I like to draw Uh, Bear with me for the hockey thing here, Steelers Nation Radio listeners, but Jake Gensel scored 40 goals two years ago. And a lot of people said, wow, he's great, and he's going to continue to be great, but 40 goals again is going to be too much. And I said, no, it's not, because he wasn't on the power play. He wasn't on the top power play. He scored like three power play goals. He's going to score 40 because I expect similar even strength production. Then he's going to be on the power play, and I think he's going to score some there too. Well, he was on pace to score 40 this year. The Steelers' defense may yet be a little bit, quote-unquote, weaker, but the numbers are still going to be there, I think, because they're going to play with a lead. And I, like I think that analogy. that's what I'm looking at. I like that analogy. How about it? How about it? Adam Crowley in for Arthur Motes today. We're rocking and rolling on a Thursday, but we'll keep some things uniform here, like our buddy uh, from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Brian Backo, good friend <gasps> of the show. He will join TM. us. TM, he will join us uh, on the other side. Hour one, segment two on a Thursday. You know what that means. It's Batco time. So uh, keep those tweets rolling in. At Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. We'll talk to Brian Batco of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette next. You are listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR.
A little moving and shaking today. Adam Crowley in for Arthur Motes on this Thursday, but we still keep it uniform with our good friend of the show from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You hear him here every Thursday. You read his work in the PG. It's Brian Batko. He's rocking with the crowd, man, this time. Oh, geez, I tell you what, I mean, this could be trouble here. Dad, buddy. What's up, up Batko? Hey, I, I got to ask real quick. How was the uh, the half birthday party at the Batko estate? Little uh, little Dawson have himself a, a grand old time? Yeah, it was lovely. Uh, went in the pool a little bit, sat around and, you know, fed him grace and waved a, like, you know, fan him with big leaves. So, uh, yeah, I think he enjoyed himself. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. Had to follow up from last week, obviously. Uh, first question for you, R- a real simple. Uh, no preseason, right call or wrong call? I think it's the right call. I mean, I, I just think even in a normal year, the preseason is something that fans – really don't enjoy uh, i'm sure the team uh, is also kind of uh leery about it just from an injury perspective so i mean it, it, it's fraught with peril to begin with and yes while it has its i guess advantages and it, it does help you ready for the season in a way i don't think you really need it if you're the nfl and you certainly don't need it in a season like this that has been such a unique uh, experience here and uh, in the name of, of public safety, which is what all the players are most worried about, uh, it seems an easy thing to cut. Backo, do you think that any players are going to sit out? And do you think that some of the things that are creating consternation between the two sides uh, are going to keep training camp from not starting up in, in five days? Carly, I hesitate to say that no one's going to sit out because, I mean, you, you have seen uh, – the, the few guys here and there in, in the other leagues. So, I mean, I think it's possible. And there's just so many guys in the NFL that you, you've got to think the odds say that at least one or two of them will be like, yeah, I'm not really feeling this return to play idea. Either one, I don't really need the money or two. Uh, I'm a long shot to, to really be a significant contributor anyway. So I'm just going to step aside at least for one year, but I don't think there's going to be this, this wide scale, um, you know, desertion uh, of the league. I mean, I, I think that it's a tricky thing right now. I mean, uh, on, on the grand scheme of things, uh, the NFLPA is obviously very united. We saw it Sunday morning and afternoon with a lot of the biggest stars in the league uh, tweeting out the we want to play hashtag and adding a lot of their own thoughts. But then on a micro level, you know, you get on social media, Instagram, whatever, and, and Steelers players are – uh, you know, they're, they're still showing up at, at Heinz Field and reporting for this, or, or I think some of them are even, you know, they're still allowed in the facility uh, if they've been rehabbing injuries. So uh, I think there's the buy-in the NFLPA needs, but it's little things like that that make me think these guys really are itching to get back at it. And what we're seeing right now is just kind of the necessary uh, ebb and flow of, of negotiations for any sports league. Brian Backo, our guest here on the Steelers Blitz, as he is kind enough to join us every Thursday at this time. I got to tell you guys, my one concern, right, and I feel like this is maybe being a little under-discussed at this point, and maybe we'll get there next week, but the NFL has a really diligent testing program, right? When all these guys return, you have to have two negative tests before you're allowed in the building, right? There's going to be two weeks of testing every day if the positive cases are below 
5%, right? They'll go to every other day. So let's say NFL players are very vigilant about this, right? Like Brian just said, hashtag they want to play, we want to play. For four to six weeks, these next four to six weeks, they take it very seriously. They're Again, they're diligent. They're, they're not lax at all when it comes to this stuff. But then we make it through that first two weeks, and the numbers are good. Then we get into the every other day testing for another two to four weeks, and the numbers are still good there. We get closer to the regular season. That coincides with maybe some of these guys, their families going back to school, people going back to work, the traveling that comes with that, the not being together every single day for training camp that comes with that. Has there been any talks about plans that the NFL has to make sure that they don't get close to the season and then there's an outbreak within a team or potential for a couple teams? Yeah, that, that would be a nightmare, obviously, for, for any organization that would have to deal with that. And, and I do think that there are some potential contingencies that you could put into place there. I mean, you could expand maybe the, the accessibility of, of practice squad players. Hmm. Uh, I know there's, I think, been the, the idea floated out there of having like a reserve pool of guys, which is actually something that I think the XFL kind of, I don't know if pioneered is the right word, but they had like a, a bonus seventh team or something that was just, made up of guys who were working together in, in training and staying in shape in case any of the, the uh, permanent teams in the league lost a guy due to injury. So I think you could navigate around that, but, but obviously, I mean, let's be honest, there are some players on every team that you could afford to uh, replace and, and move on and, and others that you really couldn't. So, uh, yeah, you, the, the teams are going to have to do everything that they really can to uh, avoid any sort of mass outbreak of, of coronavirus positive tests. And uh, I guess if you're cynical, you could also wonder if the teams are going to be completely honest uh, about that <laughs> whole thing once this gets started and if there were a doomsday scenario like that to take place. Brian Backo with us. You already knew that. I don't know why I'm resetting this. I mean, nobody cares to hear from it's me. It's just Backo. the host in you, buddy. Yeah, it just comes natural. Uh, Brian, that's the thing. I'm a good a big friend deal? of the show, Crowley, but I'm a good friend of the the uh, Moats and, and West show. I don't know <laughs> if I'm necessarily a good friend of Ooh, uh, shots West fired. Crowley. Shots fired. The acquaintance, the acquaintance of Adam Crowley, Brian Backo joining us <laughs> There's here. There's a lot of West Virginia on that side of the of the aisle right now, and a pitman on this side. It's Mountaineer Nation Radio. As soon as we hang up with you, Backo, for the last hour and twenty Literally. minutes of the show. <laughs> We're going to talk about why Tavon Austin hasn't caught on in an NFL roster. Uh, Backo, does it matter that Ben looks felt? Like, I, I don't think it's ever mattered if Ben is heavier or if he's skinnier. Uh, what matters to me is that his elbow's intact. Yeah, I think that whole thing has just been completely overblown, really, since going back to during the season when he was standing on the sidelines in a, in a winter coat with a, as full a beard as he's ever had. I mean, yeah, of course he's going to, uh, cut a little bit different physical figure, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think it, it's going to matter a whole lot. Yeah, the elbow matters a lot more than uh, however much he weighs, and, and the uh, ability to still make plays matters a whole lot. I mean, yeah, we only saw Ben for a game and a half last year, but what we saw wasn't pretty, and you know, there, there's still been a lot of talk of uh, who won the, the Antonio Brown Ben Roethlisberger breakup, and you know, you look at where AB is, or, or I guess more to the point where he isn't right now. Clearly, Ben is uh, winning that uh, divorce, but the guy's thrown one touchdown pass uh, since Antonio Brown has, has not been a part of this team, and that was uh, week 17, two years ago, uh, against the Bengals. So uh, there's still plenty for, for Ben to prove and for this offense to prove, and 
Uh, there's reason to be optimistic that just him coming back anywhere close to where he was a couple years ago uh, will lift all ships. But I think there's also reason to uh, have a little bit more caution when you evaluate things because uh, we, we just haven't seen him play at a high level uh, in, in a long time now. Backo, who's your best bet for most improved Steelers player this season? If you were, well, I was going to say, if you were in Vegas at the sports book, don't go to Vegas at the sports book, okay? But is it Deontay Johnson? Is it Devin Bush? Is it maybe somebody else? Who's the best bet for the most improved Steeler in 2020? Man, I, that's tough. I don't know if this guy is going to be like most improved type of uh, category because I still don't think he'll have huge numbers, but a guy that I do think is, is just going to be a lot more productive than he was a year ago due to circumstance is potentially Jalen Samuels. I mean, I, I was looking for more from him last year in his sophomore campaign, uh, given his pass catching and versatility. But when you don't have an experienced quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger, who was really kind of figuring out how to use you consistently in your rookie year when you, when you finally got to fill in for the starter, it, it seemed to set him back a little bit. And he had some injuries as well. Don't get me wrong. It's Still a crowded backfield with James Conner, Benny Snell, and now another rookie mid-rounder thrown into the mix, and Anthony McFarland Jr. But uh, I think he could be uh, a sneaky, productive piece of the puzzle. And, and also on offense, I mean, yeah, Deontay Johnson is, as much as he's an obvious choice for that most improved kind of uh, award, I just don't know if adding Claypool into the mix and uh, you know expecting to get a better Juju Smith-Schuster if he'll be the type of guy whose numbers really take a big jump from where they were as a rookie, even if he is a better player than he was the first time around the track, as Mike Tomlin would say. Do you think there's as much credence in this as I think a lot of people are putting into the Browns maybe being behind the eight ball because of the way COVID-19 has sort of wrecked this offseason and that the Steelers and teams like the Ravens would have an advantage over those teams that will be tangible? The closer we get, yeah. I mean, uh, initially, Crowley, I'm one of those people who says that you don't overthink talent at the end of the day. If a team looks good on paper, you, you kind of just have to throw your lot in with that. But the closer that we do get to not having the, the usual ramp-up time, I do wonder if, if everything that goes with schematic installs at football when it's played at this high level is, is something that you can really uh, come back from or, or pick up at the last second if, if you're a team like the Browns. I mean, I still really like the makeup of their offense, defense. Uh, when you just look at it from a depth chart perspective, I think they improved a lot this offseason. But uh, if there were ever a year where stability was, was going to matter, you would think it would be 2020. And we know the Steelers have that in droves. And, and I also wonder if just uh, you know being able to scheme up stuff is going to matter more this year than, than ever as well, because uh, I wonder if there's just going to be a lot of games won via the, hmm. the quote-unquote chess match uh, every Sunday when you're out there, because uh, guys just, uh, maybe there's uh, less separation in, in terms of the physical aspect of it this year, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense, and I, I think along that, right, I know you mentioned Chase Claypool there, and I think we all have very high expectations for him and just kind of the different wide receiver that he can be amongst an already talented room. But is it is it maybe fair, Batko, that we should kind of tamper across the board our expectations for rookies in general this season? Yeah, I think you have to. But the, the nice thing about a guy like potentially Anthony McFarland is even when they were drafted, I, I don't know that anyone realistically thought they were going to be 16-game hmm. full-season starters. 
You know what I'm saying? I think sure. they were always kind of brought in uh, with the thought that at least in their rookie years, uh, they can help you here or there and hit a home run, uh, either with a big rushing play or uh, Claypool, if, if you have him as a legitimate deep threat or you get his big body in the red zone. Whereas someone like uh, a Kevin Dotson on offense, if, if you were really high on his ability to compete for a starting job uh, at guard right away, that, that probably has to subside now. Or on the other side of the ball, someone like Antoine Brooks competing uh, to, to be a guy that, that plays, you know, maybe the in that top 10 or 11 most snaps of any defensive player. If he figures out a, a hybrid safety linebacker position, I think you certainly have to temper expectations of him being able to contribute immediately. And, and Alex Highsmith, the third rounder, I would throw him in sort of with Claypool and McFarland. Uh, you, you still think that uh, as long as he can adjust to the physical rigors of playing in the NFL, if he gets 30 to 40 days or whatever it is here to prepare, that maybe he can still help you out on some obvious pass rushing snaps and uh, use some of his uh, moves to get to the quarterback, and, and that would be a successful first season for him. He hasn't changed his number since the seventh grade. Find his work in the Post-Gazette. Follow him on Twitter at Brian Backo. Partner, we appreciate your time as always. Have a good rest of the day and uh, a solid weekend. My pleasure. Uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Well, I don't know about you, Crowley. You haven't had me on your show in a while. but Ooh, I'll go for Backo's the best got here. beef. I mean, now about Tavon Austin. Get this guy off the line. <laughs> <laughs> See you, See buddy. <laughs> See you, buddy. Oh, that was a good one by you there. I mean, I like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's right. We we got a lot of pit people on this on these SNR airwaves, you know? I mean, maybe a little Tavon Austin talk. Missy Matthews, Bob Labriola, Dale Lawley, Matt Williamson. Matt Williamson. I mean, we are talking about uh, a lot of pit people, and that's okay. I mean, it's fine. I just well, I hold it against all of them. I don't know if it's okay. I mean, it's fine. I don't know if it's okay. I'll give you fine. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's fine. We touched on some uh, some AFC North. Adam started to get into it there. Some questions with the Browns. Uh, and that's a nice transition to where I wanted to go next. I've got some burning AFC North division questions, training camp questions. And questions will become answers Sooner rather than later, hopefully. But what does the crowd man think? What is the AFC North shaping up to look like ahead of uh, training camp? Hopefully getting started here in just a few days. We'll discuss on the other side. Adam Crowley in for Arthur Motes. This is Steelers Blitz on SNR. is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Getting close to training camp, at least what's going to resemble training camp. It's going to be weird, Crowley. Like, we're going to get, hopefully, right, like training camp next week, but it's not going to be... There's not going to be practices happening right away. It's going to be probably three weeks at least, I think, before they even really, like, put on the pads. And that's part of, obviously, why they wanted the preseason, you know, scrap to give them more of that ramp-up period. But it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be a process, right? Like, they're going to start with just simple strength and conditioning. Then they'll put on the helmets. Then they'll put on the pads. So, like, we're getting close. But I guess we're still going to have to wait at the same time. Yeah, I don't... 
I don't even know what we're doing from like a broadcast perspective, right? <laughs> it's yeah. just it's it's all up in the air at this point. I mean, when preseason rolled around, I liked the preseason games because Williamson and I got to do post game, and it would just we get you know we get ready for the regular season that way, right? Uh, get the whistle a little wet. You know, and then we get into the regular rules for the regular season, and we're all ready because we've gone through our camp. In all seriousness, it's going to be odd. I think it was also the smart thing to do. Yeah. I think you make your peace with the potential for COVID-19 to get you if you're playing a regular season game. I think players know what they're signing up for. I think they're going to know the risks, and I think that they're also going to know that the league and the individual teams are doing their best to keep guys safe. For the preseason, though, I think it's really hard for players to wrap their heads around maybe exposing themselves to something when the games don't matter. And I think if you took a cross-section of the league, most players would feel that way. Now, you feel bad for rookies, you feel bad for bottom-of-the-roster guys, but less so because of the expansion of the practice squad. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for those guys, but at the same time, I think you got to do what's best for the players overall, and you got to do what's best for the league getting the regular season up and running, mm -hmm. and I think that that all leads to not playing a preseason. Yeah, I think you're right. And you know what? You just reminded me of something that I wanted to make sure that I touched on today. Did you see Eric Ebron tweet about some of this stuff? Rem remind me what he said. So he just said, he said, look, like, I'm preparing for the next six oh, yeah, months yeah. to be very difficult. Like, I'm going to have to stay away from my family. I'm going to have to stay away from my friends. Like, I'm preparing for, you know, a, a hard few months, to, but I, I, I'm willing to do that to get this season in. And the replies from Steelers fans and NFL Brutal. fans in general, it wasn't just Steelers fans. I'm sure you can imagine there was a lot of, there was a lot of the military stuff, right? Which, yeah, no kidding. Military people sacrifice and leave their family all the time. I have a cousin that's lived in Italy for three years, an army ranger who trains troops for the United States Army in Italy. When my cousin got into the military, that was a known possibility. When Eric Ebron got into football, I don't think he ever thought he'd have to leave his family for five, six months at a time. Absolutely. That, that's, that's, that's part number one. And that comes from me, somebody who comes from a family that, again, has a – I've got aunts and uncles and cousins, half a dozen of them at least, that are serving or have served in different branches of the military. I know what that's all about. And two, all the people who were yelling at Eric Ebron, well, I'd do it for $10 million. Yeah, no kidding. But would you leave your family and your friends for half a year for what you're making right now? Because that's not the question. Yeah, yeah. If you're making $70,000 a year, $50,000 a year, $80,000 a year, hell, even $110,000, k a year, yeah, you'd say I'd leave my family to make $10 million. Adam, you and I would leave our families for six months to make $10 million. But... If our boss, you know why? Uh, hold on, real quick, just let me finish my rant yeah. here. If our boss Brian Lamartina here at iHeartRadio, or our, you know, the guy who is like in charge of SNR from the Steelers standpoint, Reagan Barubi, if Reagan called me right now and said, "Hey Wes, all right, here's what we need you to do. You're gonna have to quarantine, all right, because we need a media person who's available to go to press conferences, who's available to talk to the players post game, right? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna put you up in a hotel." On the south side, right, right by the facility. Start to sound pretty good, yeah. Yeah, right. Reagan's like, you're gonna quarantine with the team. You're gonna be with the team. You'll be allowed to do all that, right? But for the whole season, for six, seven months, 
Can't see your wife. Can't see any friends. Can't see any family. You got to live in a hotel room by yourself. Oh, yeah. And by the way, we're not going to pay you any extra money. I mean, I love Reagan, but I tell him to kick rocks. He might be listening. Whoa! He might be, he might be listening right now, right? Because that's that's what people are. Would you would you continue to do your job, getting paid what you're doing for six months, right, and not be able to see your friends and not be able to see your family and 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 et cetera and et cetera? Because that's the real question. Eric Ebron isn't making extra money for this sacrifice. Yeah, no kidding. If Adam and I could make ten million dollars to not see our wives for six months. <laughs> hey, hey, sign me up. <laughs> but but the that's, thing is, that's, that's a false equivalency. Well, I also don't know that NFL players being told not to see your family. Right. I mean that that kind of sounds like a, a decision that Ebron's making for himself. Like I don't I don't think anybody in the NFL is like you can't see your wife. Right. I don't think that's actually right. I don't think exactly. that's actually exactly. happening. It's so, a personal you know, sacrifice that he's making because he thinks it's the yeah. right thing to do. And if that's what he wants to do, that's fine. I mean. Just from my own personal standpoint, I haven't seen anybody but my wife or my daughter for, what, four and a half months now, since March 13th or 14th, whatever it was. And I've done that because I've got an eight-month-old, actually turned nine-month-old daughter today. Let's go, Uh, Nora. I've got a father. Let's go, Nora. I've got a father who uh, needs a heart transplant. I don't want him to be potentially exposed to Mm COVID-19. So what we've done is I've been lucky enough to be able to work from here and you have. Uh, it's he, Adam's hard. not lying with this. He has legitimately not been into our studios here in Green Tree since the second week in March. Yeah, man. I go out and get groceries sometimes. Like, that's that's, that's what I do. You even you get your and beer delivered to you. You don't even go out to get beer. You were correct about this. And I think it's been really hard. But at the same time, I've been with my wife and my child. And that's, you know, those are my two favorite people. To be away from your family for as long as I've been with my family, I think would be hard. Now, I've been away from my parents and other family members, and that's been difficult. My sister, um, I see where he's coming from. I really do. At the same time, if I was told, and this is everybody's individual here, but if I was told, okay, Crowley, we're giving you $10 million this year if you don't opt out, well, I factor that into my family too. My family needs me. My daughter needs me, right? But... I got to think about them. Who knows if you're ever, how long you're ever going to be around? So I got to, I got to try to figure that out too. I mean, the ten million dollars. What would that mean for my daughter over the course of the rest <laughs> of her life and my wife? Right. So you got it. It is a difficult thing to think about. It, it just, it just is. So I don't care if players do whatever they want to do. I really don't. If players want to show up, show up. If they don't want to show up, don't show up. That's on them. I don't think any fan should be up in the mentions of a guy like Ebron or a guy like Devin Bush who was talking about it last week. Let these guys go. Just let them make decisions like adults and don't criticize them. They're not a hero for showing up. They're not a hero for not showing up. But they're going to make the best decisions for themselves. And if they don't make decisions for themselves, who's going to make the decision for them? Exactly. Right? You've got to do what's best for you because nobody else is looking out for you. And everybody comes from different situations, right? Like you just hit on, you have a father who's on the heart transplant list. You're probably taking this more seriously than someone else your age who might have, you know, parents that are, you know, I'm doing the air quotes here, healthy, right? Like everybody has different things going on. Everybody has different people in their life that they take care of. You know, a, 
Like a lot of professional athletes, man, they have a lot of family that lives around them. Like, like they take care of their older parents because, yes, during the season, they're nonstop, but they do also still have a lot more free time than most people. A lot of yes. them. I mean, look at we all know Evgeny Malkin's parents are with him all the time, like all the time, you know, and, and, and have been from the time that he was like 18, 19 in Pittsburgh. Jerome Bettis's mom. Jerome Bettis. Remember, Donovan McNabb's mom was with him all the time. She was the Come star. Come on, Chucky Soup. She was the star of the commercials more than he was. A, a lot of professional athletes from ones that were 19 years old ones that are 39 years old they have family that lives with them they take care of family or if not lives with them lives directly around them they've got more free time during a large chunk of the year they've got more disposable income than a lot of the average uh, population throughout the year they can help their family members particularly their parents and, and older family members yeah dude just don't tell me, oh, I would go do it for $10 million. Because, yeah, no kidding, all of us who don't make that kind of money would go do it for $10 million. The question is, would you do it for the 50 k the 70 k that you're already making? Because that's the equivalency to me. Well, and even then, I think it's it's to each their own, right? Absolutely. And, and I, think, I, think, I think that's your point. I mean, if I get asked to do more now, honestly, I think my first response is just to say, okay, because... I want a job, and there's a lot of people who don't have jobs, right? And if people feel that way, the way that I feel, good. If they don't, if they feel, no, I'm not going to be taken advantage of, if they feel like that's what they are being asked of them, okay, I understand that point of view too. Uh, There's been, uh, in people's minds, a lot of inconsistencies with policy locally, and I think that came to a head yesterday with the Blue Jays-Pirates thing. Uh, I think people are upset about, this percentage of bars being able to open, this percentage of that, this in no way, shape, or form is a political statement. What I'm about to say, nobody, and I mean nobody, knows what the heck we're doing right now. Nope. And I have empathy for decision makers, and I have empathy for people who are being asked to do things that they've never done before. And if their minds and their hearts are telling them to do what their minds and hearts are telling them to do, then do it, right? Because... Again, you have to look out for yourself and your family. And there are some people that think getting back to work is the best thing to do for their family. And there are some people that think being around their family is the best thing to do for their family. I ain't going to begrudge anybody. But I would say, Steelers fans, if you're the kind of people who are passionate to hop on Twitter and (laughs) criticize the Steeler because he's not going to be there or because he's going to be there and complains in some form or fashion, just take a deep breath. Realize, okay, the passion's probably coming from the right place, but maybe try to channel it in a different way. Well said by the crowd, man. He's in for Arthur Motes today. We've got an hour in the books, another 60 minutes to go. On the other side, I will ask Adam Crowley those AFC North burning hot, 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 hot training camp questions. We'll get to your tweets as well, at Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. Dad body. There he is, inside the electric factory. You're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. Euler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Good afternoon, Steelers Nation. How we doing? Well, that's good. Hour number two, Steelers Blitz here on SNR. Adam Crowley riding shotgun with me today for Motsi, but don't worry, the body will be back tomorrow to send you into the weekend with smiles and information. 
rocking and rolling here, hour number two. You know what that means. We'll get to three-question Thursday. We will also get to your tweets, so keep them rolling in, at Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. Let's get to it here, crowd man. Uh, burning AFC North questions for each team ahead of training camp. All right, so I got one for you uh, for each of the four teams. How about that? Maths. <sighs> this is where Moats and I always argue, where do we start? All right, this is like our biggest thing. Where do we start on these lists? Do we start with the Steelers? Do we go alphabetically? Do you have a preference? You're the Leave guest. Leave the people wanting. Leave the people wanting the Steelers. So we'll go alphabetically then. We'll do Steelers last. How about that? Then number one. You know what? You know what? No, start with the Steelers. I'm just kidding. You. You. All right, burning question for the Baltimore Ravens ahead of training camp. How do you improve Lamar Jackson even off of a 14-2 and MVP season? Wow, that's a great question because – from year one to year two, I thought it was ball security. And I think he did a much better job of that. To me, it's just simply got to be, you got to do it in the playoffs and not let the moment become too big. And I say that knowing full well that he wasn't as bad as the loss might indicate, right? Right. He wound up equating for about 500 yards some costly turnovers Ooh. but still had a lot of production right and people will say oh he lost and all oh, those were garbage yards he put up 500 yards I mean that's just that's just not an easy thing to do but yes he turned the football over so he protected the ball well 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 ahead of schedule last year compared to what he did the year before whenever he fumbled the ball all the darn time can he protect it in a playoff game, to me, is the question. Because there's not much else for him to improve on. And people who are listening to this might say, well, you got to throw the ball a little bit better. He had a quarterback rating of like 114 so or 109. So he, he really threw the ball well. He threw more touchdowns than anybody else. It's just clean it up in the postseason. Are the Ravens approaching... It's funny. I mean, both the, both the, the other team I'm about to mention is, is within the relative uh, geographical area. Are they approaching like almost where the Washington Capitals were for a little bit, where like everybody knows what you're capable of, okay? And now, and we've seen the postseason shortcomings. Now we know that you just need to get over that hump in the pre in the postseason, right? So, nothing you really do during the regular season is going to convince us. Show me in the playoffs. Like, are the Ravens already kind of approaching that territory where if they go out there and okay, maybe they don't win 14 games again, but say they win 12 or 13, people are still going to be like, yeah, all right, well, what are you doing in the playoffs? Yeah, but I think at the same time, just the question itself points out the flaw. It's not easy to win championships. and Particularly in a, a, a one-and-done tournament like football right, is. Right, I mean, we've talked about so it. I, I, in the NHL and the NBA, you can lose 12 games in the playoffs and still win a championship. Right. I think it's, I think it's flawed because it's really hard to win a championship, and... What, you're supposed to win it on somebody else's schedule? The funny thing is, <laughs> if Lamar Jackson won last year, people would be saying, well, why hasn't Patrick Mahomes won it yet? Hmm. Right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a good call. I remember listening to a a national radio segment like a couple of years ago. I forget which team wound up losing in the Final Four. And, it, you know, what? it might have been Kansas. And one of the national radio hosts said... Kansas needs to win a national championship. It's it's national championship or bust for them every year. they got to win one. It's been a while. And it made me laugh because... 
Is it not the same thing for Duke? Is it not the same thing for Kentucky? Is it not the same thing for North Carolina? Well, if it's championship or bust for every team, this is how the sports talk industry stays in business, folks. This is what we do. It's championship or bust. And the team that's, that, that it is championship or bust for, one of them, they're going to win it. One of the other ones ain't going to win it. And the one that wins it, oh, they've arrived. And the one that doesn't, we go, they're oh, they haven't done it yet. Yeah, they can't do it in the playoffs. So, uh, yes, the Ravens last year, last year underachieved. The first year, they didn't because they were 4-5 and five at one point. It was Lamar Jackson's rookie year. Last year, yes, based on their record, they underachieved. But uh, I think, I think you got to give them more than two years to do something before you start calling them failures. Good call. I concur. Cincinnati. Ooh, the Bungles. I think this is a pretty straightforward one, Adam. And you know what? You know what I didn't even notice, honestly? Like, all four of these questions kind of involve the quarterback. But we'll get there. Cincinnati Bengals, how long will it take for Joe Burrow uh, to get acclimated in what's just been a, here's the word, <laughs> unprecedented offseason? Whoa! All year, I think. That sounds so stupid, but I think... Man, he's going to need all season to start to feel comfortable. Most rookies do anyhow. Ben Roethlisberger, notwithstanding. Yeah, Dak Prescott, notwithstanding. Joe Flacco, notwithstanding. RG3, notwithstanding. There's there's a number of rookies that have had a lot of success coming in from year one. Uh, even Baker Mayfield, honestly, had a lot of success in, in his rookie season. But there's been no off season. It's a new scheme. It's new players that you got to develop a rapport for. The speed of the defense, even coming from the SEC, is going to be totally different. Uh, I think people should expect that Joe Burrow does things on a on a daily on a weekly basis that make you go wow. I think you want to see stuff from him that makes you go wow. This is why he was the number one overall pick. And he looks better. Uh, he you, looks better in week four than he did in week one. And he looks better in week nine bingo. than he did in week four. And he looks better in week fifteen than he did in week nine. Can he pop? Can he move the needle a couple of times a game? Can he get better with every quarter of the season? I think those are the things that you look for. But if he comes out of this year and his quarterback rating sitting at like 83 and he's got a couple of more touchdowns than interceptions, I don't think that Cincinnati needs to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know what I mean? It's going to take some time, especially with the way this season's gone. I like that one. I haven't heard baby out with the bathwater for a long time. That's an that's an old school analogy there from the crowd. I got a baby and she's in bathwater all the time. So that's where that comes from. Don't throw out Nora, please. I will not. Cleveland. Speaking of Baker Mayfield. How does Kevin Stefanski tailor that offensive scheme to get the most success out of his quarterback? Give it to both the running backs all the time. (laughs) I think that's the answer, right? Yeah. Get them on the rollout. A lot of play action. He was really good with the RPO at Oklahoma, uh, though maybe I would have been with the separation sometimes with the big 12 defenses. I think you put the belly, in, the ball in the belly of the running backs a lot, and then I think you pull it from the belly of the running backs a lot, and I think you tailor your offense around running the football, giving them half-field reads. And it, by the running game having success, he's going to have cleaner pockets to throw from, and he can start to regain some of his confidence because I thought the biggest issue with Baker Mayfield last year was that he sensed pressure when pressure might not have existed Hmm. because the offensive line's been so bad the last couple of years, and he was used to clean pockets at Oklahoma. Those offensive lines were incredible. Best offensive line coach in the country at Oklahoma, Bill Badenbaugh, by the way. Yes. In my my most humble Big 12 opinion. I think a lot of people would agree with that, too. 
Um, so I think just run the football, half field reads, get him on the rollout, get him on some nakeds, and I think he'll be better by extension. He's the kind of guy that I think fits better in a system. He's got the yes. tools. Try yes. to eliminate some of his thinking. <laughs> I mean, honestly. And that's just It's funny to say about a guy that was just the number one overall pick like two years ago, but you're right. I wonder, Adam, because I agree, I echo everything you just said. If I were a Browns fan, oh, and I just got to shiver up my spine. I mean, like that, being a WVU football fan is painful. Being a Browns fan, Oh, and we, uh, you know what? We got some friends from college that are Browns and Mountaineer fans. That's a rough, that's terrible. That's a that's rough terrible. existence right there. If I was, if I, if this was Browns Nation Radio, I'd be pounding the table saying, "Yeah, you got to run the ball. You got an improved offensive line. That's where you used your first round pick. You brought in Jack Conklin. You made him the highest paid right tackle in football because he's very, very good in the run game. Look what Derrick Henry did running behind." That guy. You take the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands. You run a lot of play action. You use Chubb. You use Hunt. And then you sprinkle in some downfield shots with all your talented skill players. Does that really happen, though? With all the mouths to feed, with all the egos, with obviously we know about Landry and OBJ and the talent and the, and the amount of you know targets that they want. But now you bring in Austin Hooper in free agency too, a high-priced tight end. You've still got Njoku. Are the egos within that offense going to allow the offense to operate within a scheme? If they win, I think you can deal with it for a year. If you if you are losing or you're inconsistent and you are seeing everybody get the ball but not getting the ball enough, I think then it becomes a, a problem. Uh, I know Antonio Brown wanted to rack up statistics more than he wanted to win. I don't know if OBJ is the same way to that level. I'm sure he would tell you he's not. He wants his numbers. Uh, I think the primary pass catcher can still get those kind of numbers. So I think OBJ is the biggest mouth that needs fed. I think you can still feed him while primarily running the football if you have like a 60-40 passing split. And then Landry's just going to have to realize he ain't OBJ. Austin Hooper's going to have to realize he ain't as valuable as the running backs are OBJ. And the rest of the guys are going to have to fall in line. Uh, I think there's a chance it could work for a year. I think there's way too many cooks in that kitchen, though. Yeah. And I think after this year, if they don't have the success that they want, they're definitely going to have to realize, okay, maybe we remove somebody from that equation and realize we don't need to build an all-star team. We just got to find guys who can fit this scheme. Because, and not to be long-winded, I'm sorry about this, but we've seen this is an offense that turns guys into, into good players too. You don't necessarily need to have everyone be a superstar. That's a good call by you. I, I hope they don't take our advice. I hope they're not listening right now. I mean, keep just keep doing what you're doing, Cleveland. It's been working out really well. We'll take it. <laughs> Last one here, Crowman. Obviously, we finish with what everybody wants to hear, the Pittsburgh Steelers. My burning question ahead of training camp, what's the layout of the offensive line going to be? Yeah, I, I, we've discussed everything else really at nauseum, and we have discussed this too, and I know I could go the, you know, does Ben Roethlisberger being back healthy, does that allow Juju and James Conner to have bounce back seasons? There's a lot of more obvious burning questions I think I could have went with, but this is the first time in a while that I think we've had this many question marks about the offensive line, right? What happens at right tackle? Chooks or Banner, one of those guys clearly emerge in that role. You move Fowler to left guard. Is that what ends up happening? Does the lack of off-season work 
maybe then Filer ends up being the guy at right tackle. Is Wisniewski the guy at left guard then? But do you really want Wisniewski almost as like your sixth man off the bench, right? Like your utility guy because you know he can play any position on the interior of the line in case of an injury. He's kind of your, you know, your break in case of emergency guy, if you will, right? Break glass in case of emergency. Do they want Wisniewski to be able to be that guy? Does he end up starting? How does that relate to Filer? Are they confident enough in Chooks and Zach Banner? What is the layout of the offensive line? That, to me, Crowman, is the Steelers' biggest burning question, aside from Ben Roethlisberger's elbow health ahead of training camp. It's loaded, right? I mean, it's three-question Thursday, and you asked me 67 questions there about the offensive line. While there are quote-unquote questions, I still feel good about the offensive line sort of regardless of the way that it all comes together because I still believe in Pouncey, I believe in DeCastro, and Villanueva I don't think was as good last year, but he was still good in pass protection, and he probably just needs to run block a little bit better, but I think that had a lot to do with who was behind center. So I've got faith in those three guys. I've got faith in Filer wherever he plays. The question then becomes, where does he play? And I think the strongest line for the Steelers might be Filer at right tackle and Wisniewski at left guard. I agree. It was, but but it might also handcuff them as to you know what they have behind their five starters. Right, and I think that's a great point. And I think their backup center is rarely a guy who's going to be playing primarily. I would bet it's going to be Chooks as your starting right tackle, and then I. Would- that it's going to be Filer as your starting left guard. That's what Mike Tomlin said they're going to start. I don't think Filer is going to give them a reason to say, mm, you're not good enough at left guard. And I I think Okorafor is, he's got the body type, and they really liked where he was trending before injury reasons. I think he's I think he's going to be a good right tackle in this league. I bet you that's what winds up happening. And, you know, again, from a from a usage standpoint, if it plays out that way, that would probably be the most beneficial result, right? Like you said, Matt Filer, I think, leaves only you with started, a ton of depth. It, it leaves you with a ton of depth. I think Matt Filer's only started two games at guard in his career, right? But one of those was against the Rams and Aaron Donald, and he did a really good job. I think we're confident in his ability there. Uh, Chooks, another one. We don't have a huge sample size of his body of work as a starter at right tackle in the NFL, but one of them was against Von Miller. And he did a really good job. And then, yeah, that gives you all kinds of options uh, after your five starters, right? If Pouncey were to miss a little bit of time, if DeCastro were to miss a little bit of time, whatever, you've got the ability to plug and play there. I am with you. I think that's the best way, uh, you know, from the from the Steelers, you know, kind of plethora of different options there, if you will. That would be the most favorable way for everything to shake out, I think. Yeah, and it's funny because... When Ramon Foster announced that he was retiring, and with the loss of B.J. Finney, I thought, hmm, a little bit nervous about this offensive line. But Wisniewski, it's not just that he's a local guy, it's that he's a Super Bowl champion. Two-time, and isn't he? I just, Yeah. And, and I just think that Chooks and Banner, if there's such thing as a left tackle tree, those guys, well, they'd be the tree, right? <laughs> That's how big and strong those dudes are. I I just think I think they're in a good spot. I think they've got eight guys that you absolutely have faith in. It's just the combination that is the question. And 
I trust that Mike Tomlin will make the right decision there. And with Ben under center, I also think that that goes a long way to, to making the offensive line better than it was last year, no matter really who's there. I mean, it's tough to run the football when there's 75 guys in the box. It just is. I'll tell you, I think that changes this year with Ben. I agree. Absolutely. And that's how, again, the conversation of all these things are intertwined, obviously. They, they all play off each other. There's a real trickle-down effect. If the Steelers start the season in a comfortable position, right, with Filer at left guard, Chooks at right tackle, maybe it's Banner at right tackle, I tell you what, Adam, I feel really good about that offensive line if their sixth man off the bench is a guy who started for two of the last three Super Bowl champions. I feel yeah. really oh, good yeah. about that. I mean, Wisniewski started for the Eagles they, when they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. He started last year for the Chiefs when they won the Super Bowl. That's a nice guy to kind of have in your back pocket waiting. I tell you what, two of the three last Super Bowls he's been a starter. Uh, I'll take that. Yeah, and three out of your five guys on the offensive line are, are, are solid already. And maybe they're getting a little long in the tooth, but they're not, they're not super old. Uh, Villanueva is a little bit longer than you'd like to see. Um, here's, here's something that's interesting to me, Euler, is that this, this is last year uh, Villanueva is under contract. So... Unfortunately, you don't have the entire offseason this year to get to see mm-hmm. Banner v. Chooks because I think that could have made you confident that maybe one of those guys could take over at left tackle next mm-hmm. year. Um, I don't know if there's going to be enough time to convince the Steelers of that now, but we shall see. That we shall, Crowdman, on Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. That's how you get those tweets in. On the other side, ooh, Adam, I think this is, is this your first three-question Thursday? I think it is. I don't think you've ever filled in on Wait, a Thursday. Wait, those weren't the three questions? No. Oh, buddy. Those were AFC North questions. What? I'm excited. We got so many questions. So many questions. These are some fun ones, all right? Three pack of questions for the crowd, man. Everybody knows how this works except for the crowd, man. Maybe I should have filled them in a little bit better. That's on me there. But you know how it works, right? We'll have some outside-of-the-box questions. We'll have some sports-related questions. We'll have some fun in the next segment. Keep those tweets rolling in. Hour number two, we roll along. Inside the Electric Factory, Adam Crowley in for Arthur Motes. This is Steelers Blitz on SNR. Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Three question Thursday on SNR, and it's time to give the crowd man his baptism. Bring him in with a little rolling stones, butter him up before we chop him down. <gasps> no, I'm just kidding. There's really no wrong answers for this. All right, Adam, so normally during the football season, right, three question Thursday, what it is is, I ask Arthur Motes two football questions from outside of the Steelers bubble, right? So it can be something going on with the Arizona Cardinals. It could be something college football related. It could be an issue that high school football is facing, right? Whatever. Two sports football related questions that are outside the Steelers bubble. And then the third question is usually a goofy question about pop culture or food or video games, music, you know, movies, that kind of stuff. 
But during the offseason, you know, we, we get a little bit looser with it, but it's still two of these are sports-related, one's from outside the box. Are you ready? Here we go. little three-question Thursday for the crowd, man. Three-question Thursday. Question number one, Adam. What is the thing that you will <laughs> miss least about fans being at sporting events, right? So we've talked a lot about, ah, oh, man, it's going to stink <laughs> not having fans for this, not having fans for that. What's one thing that you won't miss about having fans in the stands? I just don't think that professional sports are family environments at all. And I don't know if they're supposed to be, right? But I know that if I were to have a choice to bring my daughter to a football game or not bring her to a football game... I'm probably going to wait till she's at least north of 10 years old before I take her to a football game. This is not an indictment on Steelers fans. This is an indictment on all fans because all it takes is one or two bad guys, one or two drunk apples to make a mockery out of everybody else, right? And and to make an experience a bad one. Uh, I just think that, and I've been guilty of this myself, frankly, that there's overconsumption at, at sporting events, and that's part of the fun, right? within reason, but there are too many people that go beyond that. And I loved, as a kid, going to sporting events. But, you know, the older I get, I realize that I was probably oblivious to a lot. Sure. And I, I think now that I've become a parent, there's just a different a different perspective for me. Now, maybe the solution is, sadly, just, okay, everyone understands, maybe it's not for kids, but... I think I think that there can be some abhorrent behavior from fans. Now, maybe that all translates to social media instead. Now, and that sucks. Mm. But I do think I do think an NFL stadium, especially a night game, Whew. I think could be pretty could be pretty tough on the ears sometimes. And I'm not approved by any stretch. I mean, Wes, you can tell the people. No, it's you and I have my, you and I have overserved ourselves a few times at oh. WVU games in our day. All right, if we're being honest, we've here. said some things. <laughs> It's just my my mindset has changed a little bit since I've become a dad. And sure. um, I think if there's one place that people feel like they can just throw their inhibitions to the wind and do whatever they darn well please, I, I feel like NFL stadiums on Sundays hmm. and Thursdays and sometimes on Saturdays, uh, I think that's one of the places where that happens. It's a good answer. I really like that answer. I got a simple one for you. You know, yours is real morality and looking at the scope of society and how we act and how we behave and – Please give me the funny, because mine was not funny at all. The wave, dude. I mean, I'm so <laughs> glad. You know yes. how happy I am? I'm not going to have to see any dinks do the wave at any baseball games this summer or any hockey games in the upcoming tournament here. I hate the wave. Hashtag ban the wave. There's nothing cool about the wave. You're trying to watch the game, and you got some dude who's not even paying attention to the game jumping up in front of you. Woo! And you got the same people next to you who on third down, when the team really needs them to make some noise, they're sitting on their hands. Oh, but all of a sudden, the wave comes around and woo! Get the wave out of here. If I owned a sports team, all right, which I would for 80K. Wait, wait, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What just happened there? If I, I, if I owned a sports team, I'd like to buy Sunderland Football Club. Honestly, they're for sale right now in England. First thing I would do is ban the wave at our grounds, at our stadium, at our arena. Get the wave out of here. That's one thing I will not miss, Crowley. I hate the wave. I've always hated the wave. I'm very happy you bring this to the ears of millions of people listening to Steelers Nation Radio right now because I don't want to be the fun police. I'm not the fun police. I like to have fun. 
I just don't see that as something that is fun. Also, if you're not in, like, the igloo, if you're not at Three Rivers Stadium, if there's gaps in Correct. the stadium, it's stupid! And half the time, you can't do it at PNC Park because no one's at the games anyhow. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's dumb, it's dumb, it's dumb. And then you're right, it's third down! And, and the guy next to you is like, yeah, he's like, oh, I'm going to eat my nachos right now. Wait. If you're going to yell, then yell now. Yell when it's productive for the team, you dork. Dude, I used to yell at WVU fans in the student section all the time, our own students. who they Like in the basketball student section, right, when you're right there on the court, like close to the action. And these same people make no noise the whole game. They don't jump up and down. They don't, oh, they don't do chants. They don't do anything. But the second the ESPN camera turns around and looks at the student section, they're like, woo, woo, hi, mom, hey, mom, what's up, woo. I, oh, I hate those. Oh, Crowley. Oh, I got my blood boiling. good take. How about Jumbotron proposals, too? I won't miss Jumbotron proposals. Does that make me a bad person? Does that make me hate fun? I love them. It's because they're so awful and tacky, <laughs> and it makes me laugh, and I'm always there for a good laugh. Three question Thursday. Question number two. Adam Crowley, what's your biggest pet peeve in life? Real simple. This is your outside-the-box question. Because mine happened uh, to me today on the way into work. That's what made me think of this question. Well, I, I have one that pops into my head immediately. It's, hey, babe, I'm going to order this. Do you want me to order you some as well? Like, I'm going to get fries. Do you want fries? Oh, I know where this and is her going. Answer, yeah, and her answer is no. Or I'm going to get an ice cream cone. Do you want one? No, I'm watching my figure. I'm going to okay, get a drink fine. out of the vending machine. You want something? Mm-hmm. Then you get it. Oh, you get I, know your drink. Where, I know where this is going. You get your cone. Oh. You get your fries. And you know who's eating half the fries, half the cone, half the vanilla Coke? It's your wife. Oh. And I love her to death. I love her to death. But you know what? I'd pay for the extra fries. I'd pay for the extra cone. In fact, you offered. I'd pay for the extra ice cream cone. I have offered. And the thing is, if she doesn't finish that... Guess what? You get extra to eat fries. It. Yep. It's extra like it's like, a, it's like a husband hack. You want your wife to get something extra so you can eat what she doesn't finish. Bingo. But the thing that they would say is their hack is let's not spend the money and I'm going to eat exactly mm-hmm. as much as I wanted to eat. We don't care about them, but I'll get exactly what I want to eat and I'll be happier for it. The husband wife civil war is going to happen one of these days, Crowley. All right. You and I are going to be on the front lines and we'll be throwing drinks and fries to all the dudes and telling the women they get nothing. You buy your own. No, that's a great one by you. That's that's certainly up there for I think for for any dude that's been in a relationship for a long time because at first maybe it's a little cute. Like, "Hey, you want some of my fries? Oh, you want a sip oh, of my Oh, we're sharing. She s- loves you me. You want a sip of my Gatorade? Oh, but yeah, when you're like you and I are, I mean, you you've been with Leanna over 10 years, 12 right? 12 years. 12 yeah. years. Yeah, I've been I've been my wife and I, you know, we've been together for 8 years, 9 years almost now. <sighs> it's not as cute once you get out of that that honeymoon relationship, especially phase. when you know it's going to happen. <laughs> yes. Like you know it's going to happen. And you oh, I'm tell just going to order it anyhow. No, happen. I promise it's not going to happen. I promise I'm not hungry. And then bam, half of your chocolate chip cookie dough right down her gullet. My biggest pet peeve, Adam, is slow drivers in the left lane on highway and interstates, but not necessarily just slow drivers on the left lane. People who get into the left lane, like cut you off in the left lane, but then just keep going the same speed that they were going. Like, dude, if you're going to be 
cruising along in the right lane, right? And I'm coming up behind you in the left lane. And you get over in front of me. You better speed up, too. You better not keep going the same speed limit that you were going in the right lane. Then what the bleep was the point of you getting into the left lane in the first place? I'm a really nice guy, Adam. You know this. It takes a lot to get me angry, fired up. I always got a stupid grin on my face 99% of the time. The you other, do. The other 1% of the time that I don't have the stupid grin on my face is when somebody cut me off in the left lane and then kept going 10 miles under the speed limit. Oh, it makes my blood boil. I told you what I would do if I was the owner of a football, te- of a football team, hockey team, football team, whatever, right? I'd ban the wave. That'd be my first piece of, of legislation. If I, Wesley Euler, was an elected president of the United States, which I would do for 80K, by the way. There we go. Nailed it that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got it. If I was president of the United States, first piece of legislation that I would put into effect, my first executive order would be death penalty to everyone who drives slow in the left lane. No further question. Is that a little too harsh? Yes. Okay, first time you get a warning, like a $500 fine. Second time, death penalty. Then death penalty. There we go. Okay, now that's fair. That's fair. I mean, you warn them once. You warn them once, and then the second time, shame on you. You've made the same mistake. Yes, that is a big-time pet peeve of mine. From a sports perspective, I think we got into one of my sports pers- uh, pet peeves earlier on in the show, Wes, easy for me to say, which is they've never won a championship. They can't win one. Oh, you know just, I hate that. I've grilled that. Yeah. Nonstop over be, the last can, few years. Yeah, can we just be can we just be analysts instead of being lazy? Because that's all that that and is. And can we also just look at recent history and look at the Chicago right. Cubs and the Washington Nationals and the Capitals and the Toronto Raptors and the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Philadelphia Eagles and all the teams who could never win a championship that have all won them like in the last four or five years? Idiots. You know what my biggest, along those lines real quick, sports pet peeve in that regard is to successful fan bases who don't, who who use that against non-successful fan bases to devalue their opinions. Like, I'm going to call out, I'm going to call out some of my own brethren here. I see it a lot with Steelers fans, right? Where they'll be in a back and forth with a Bengals fan and they'll be like, oh, well, how do you know? Well, what? Like, just as a sports fan, if my team is bad, that means I know nothing about the get right. So nobody in Pittsburgh, our <laughs> age, Adam, is allowed to talk about baseball because we've only seen primarily bad baseball for our whole lives, right? Like, that's the logic. Like, ah, well, the Pirates have sucked your whole life. What do you know about baseball? Like, what, I can't still be a baseball fan who loves the game, who consumes a lot of baseball? <laughs> like, I hear this a lot as a WVU fan, right? Oh, well, you've never won a national championship. What do you know? I mean, buddy, I could probably tell you uh, infinitely more about the national champions of the last 20 years than you could in the sport. But please tell me why just because my team is bad, that devalues my opinion as a fan. That's always bothered me. Always you know what, bothered Euler, me. I was at a Pirates game like a decade-ish ago. Uh, the Red Sox were in town. And the guy sitting next to me, we were, we were talking, and he was very friendly. And which is odd for a Bostonian, <laughs> and you said he was it. like, "Oh yeah, we brought a lot of fans, and uh, we're the we're the smartest fans in baseball." And then at that moment, the Pirates grounded into a double play, and it was three outs. And I was like, "All right, Pedro, hit one out in the, into the river this next time." And he looks at me, and he's like, "What are you talking about? There's three outs." And I said, "Oh, I thought there were four. Like, what do you mean you're the most knowledgeable <laughs> fans in baseball? Like, uh, there's six outs." No, there's three outs. Get out of here. I'm going to clap when we advance the runner to third. Oh, okay. So does every other fan in baseball, you jerk. Come on. Most knowledgeable fans. This has been a good venting session. I like this. Three question Thursday. We still have a question to go, don't we? Three question Thursday, question number three. 
uh, Washington. They just announced that <laughs> in the interim, they will be referred to as the Washington football team. And you know what, Adam? I kind of like this. It's not bad. My three question, th- I don't know if this is really a question, but can we get this to stick on? Like, because it's it's almost got like a very like European like soccer like, kind of feel, right? Like you're you know you're Manchester United football club. Like you don't really have a mascot, right? Like your Chelsea football, your Liverpool football club. Now some of them do, right? Like some of the teams do, but for the most part, right? They're just Real Madrid. They're just Barcelona. Like they don't have they're Bayern Munich. They don't have a mascot. The Pittsburgh football team, the Pittsburgh hockey team, the Pittsburgh baseball team. I don't know. I kind of like it. I like it too. Um, it is not offensive to anybody except it's offensive probably to 31 other franchises that the Redskins or whatever they were, the artists formerly known as the Redskins, we call them we call them the Redacteds on this program. Okay, they're the Washington okay. Redacteds. Please, please respect the lingity. Well, uh, please respect the end of my joke. <laughs> not okay. It it is offensive to me because it's offensive to all football teams. They would call themselves one. Okay. I like I like the uniforms they kind of released with these, right? Because I think they're the ones they're going to have to practice in, and if there were preseason games they'd have to play in. They're the exact same color scheme. Everything's the exact same, except on the front it says Washington football team, and on the side it has the helmet sort of in an Alabama fashion. I like it. It's simple. I, I think for fans of the franchise, you could get a hat, right, and you could have your favorite player's number on it. Or you could just get the colors. Like I, I kind of think it's cool in its simplicity. Because they're just going to do like the block numbers on the helmet, right? Like like Alabama right. style almost to give a visual to the crowd at home. Right. And I That's do what like I just said. I like. Did you wait? Did you say it, Alabama? You, I did. You jerk. Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking. Go at to the, break. I was Take looking Twitter at the questions. I was looking I at the pictures. I like I the color scheme. Doing. I know yeah. I'm with you. I just said that too. Great minds think alike, you know. It's like it's like we've been doing this radio thing together for uh, for a long time. Maybe even back to college. I don't know. Yeah, like Crowley said, last chance to get those tweets in. We will answer them on the other side as we wrap up the show at Wesley Euler at underscore Adam Crowley. One more segment. Dad body. Get those tweets in, or forever hold your peace for the next twenty two hours. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. It's Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Wrapping up the show as we always do with your tweets on the Twitter.com come here and we i tell you what we got some funny photoshops today so i got a lot to scroll through here i mean david david had the people going as he always does um maybe you can settle this one gregory tweeted us this last night maybe you can be the uh the neutral party here crowd man gregory wants to know who would win in a staring contest arthur motes or wes Mike Tomlin always says not to blink, but I feel like Mike Tomlin blinks more per second than anybody in human history. Like, if you watch his press conferences, it's just blinking out of control. And I think that Mike Tomlin, since he was the coach of Arthur Motes, maybe Arthur Motes is more of a blinker. Because, (laughs) yeah, well, Mike Tomlin says not to blink. I feel like Mike Tomlin contradicts himself there, and I would think that maybe Arthur Motes might blink a lot like Mike Tomlin. Wesley Euler... 
his eyes his eyes can get very close together at times. Yeah, it's true. I that, I've got the Euler smile. But does My he eyes disappear. No. Now you know Thrash makes a good point here. He says Motsi for sure because with Mike Tomlin he cut his eyelids off. Damn, Ooh. that is an amazing point. Yeah, I think Thrash. That I is think, an outstanding joke. Uh, he got us there. He got us there. King Dussie wants to know if Stephon Tuitt gets hurt again this year, will he still be with the Steelers going forward? Whew. Probably not. The cap situation's already tricky next year, mm-hmm. even more so now with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Darn, mm-hmm. thought we'd go the entire show without mentioning COVID. <laughs> but it's tough because you're going to have to replace Bud Dupree in all likelihood after the year. Uh, Joe Hayden's getting longer in the tooth. You might have to replace your left tackle. Cam Hayward's up. Cam Hayward's up, although I assume something will get done there, but you know what they say about making assumptions. Mm-hmm. I-, I think that they'd probably still keep him around because it's just tough to fill that many positions in one offseason. Joseph says, hot take, most improved on the Steelers this season will be Ryan Switzer. His confidence is crazy high right now, plus his bromance with Ben. That helps when your best friend is the quarterback. If Ben trusts him, it could happen. I read that in a very Angels in the Outfield voice. It could happen. Am I crazy? Crowman, I'll let you take this one. Ryan Switzer should write for SNL. (laughs) I mean, that's just what Ryan Switzer the other day said he could be one of the top slots receivers in the game now let me be very clear about this he should feel that way absolutely that's what I was gonna say too yeah yeah he should feel that way and when Ben's texting him saying we could be the next Edelman and Brady he should feel that way too Uh, my worry is that if Switzer does not get better because he's a catch the ball and fall down guy He he wasn't great after the catch uh really the last couple of years if he doesn't get better then you're taking the ball out of a lot of playmakers' hands. Because Deontay Johnson, I think, is going to be a stud. We've seen Juju be a stud in the past. Eric Ebron with a good quarterback last time caught 14 touchdowns. James Conner's a good running back at catching the football. They think Anthony McFarlane can be that. Vance McDonald, James Washington, maybe Chase Claypool. There's a lot of potential playmakers on this team. And if the ball's in Ryan Switzer's hands, if he's not the best version of Ryan Switzer we've ever seen, then you're just taking the ball out of somebody else's hands. If he takes a step forward, that's great because he seems like a great guy. Ben does get along with him, and it would help the football team. But if he doesn't get incrementally better or or a lot better and they still force-feed him the football, now we've got a problem because you're keeping the ball out of other people's hands. That's it. And and he's not going to make the team solely because – He's Ben's friend, right? They, they, he would be on the team because right. they think he's worth something. Right. He's also he's also not a guy who puts the ball on the turf. Deontay Johnson did a lot of that last year, so there is something to that. But if he's not a lot better, you're keeping the ball out of somebody else's hands who is better, and I don't love that. Steeler Nation South Mississippi says, sitting in an empty stadium listening to Country Roads at WVU or an empty stadium at Heinz Field when Renegade comes on, which team benefits more from that extra energy? Well, it's Renegade, right? Because Country Roads is a victory. It's a celebration song. It's not necessarily a pump-up song like Renegade right. is. Yeah. You won't, hear, you won't hear Country Roads much in Morgantown, much around a WVU game until after the game. It's not really like a pregame hype thing. It's, not a, it's, a, it's a victory song. It's a, it's a celebration. It's a, you know, after, after a win, we sing this. After a loss, we go cry our tears away in the blue lot. Yeah. So in terms of hype, 
I don't think you know you, you wouldn't you wouldn't really hear Country Roads ever played as a hype song in, in Morningtown. Re, re, uh, Renegade. Wow, my God, I can't talk. <laughs> in an empty stadium is hilarious to me. Like when the screen goes black. And then all the players, what are they just going to start sprinting up and down the sideline? Yeah, whenever? right. Because I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to do it, right? But here's the other thing: we don't know yet that the stadiums are going to be empty, right? And the Steelers uh, released some of their, and I saw Bob Labriola wrote about uh, addressed this uh, on Steelers.com either today or yesterday. Um, there, there are going to be some protocols in place, and if they're allowed fans, there's going to be a certain number of people in the building, and they're going to do everything that they usually would do, I'd imagine, to keep those people entertained. So uh, we'll see how that all goes. Um, but if there's no fans at Heinz Field this year or in general in the NFL, I think I'm going to feel that, and I think fans will feel that being at home more than they'll feel it in anything else, uh, if it's the NHL, the NBA, aside from, like, collegiate sports. But as far as professional sports are concerned, not having crowds at football games is going to be weird. Imagine being at home at Heinz Field like, are we still going to see Devin Bush try to raise the roof, you know, get the crowd crowd noise? No one's there. It's going to be odd. It is going to be. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Football is the sport that I would least want to see with no fans in the stands. I think the fans have the most impact in a football game in terms of building that atmosphere and third downs and, and things of that nature. I'm with you on that. Steelers 480 says, considering Connor's injury history, do the Steelers carry five running backs on the roster to start off, or who's the odd man out? Connor Snell, Samuels, Anthony McFarland, Kareth White. I bet you one of those guys ends up on practice squad and they carry four. You think that's fair? Yeah, well, five if they if we're going to include Watt, and they probably and we probably won't. Well, we'll just say he's the fullback. That's true. Whatever. Yeah, the fullback. But the thing, that, the thing that stinks is, you know, Samuels to me isn't, an NFL running back, but last year prior to the start of the season, Randy Feetner said he thinks he's the best route runner in the league from the running back position, which, my God, is high praise, mm-hmm. but that tells you how they think about the guy. So even though I don't love him, and I think it telegraphs what you're going to do when he's on the field, I think they'll keep him around. I like Kareth White. The guy's got speed, but he's probably the odd man out there. It's not going to be McFarland. It's not going to be Benny Snell using draft picks on those guys. It ain't going to be Connor, obviously. Uh, so they're going to keep Samuels, in my opinion. It'll be Kareth White. They'll keep four or five if you include Derek Watt. Last one here. Thrash Metal Guy says, Thrash Metal Wife swore up and down that she hates Dr. Pepper while I had an unhealthy addiction to it. Going on five years together now, she drinks it almost as much as me. <laughs> oh, devastating news, Thrash Metal Guy. I'm so sorry to hear that. That's how my wife and I are with extra toasted Cheez-Its, by the way. The extra toasty Cheez-Its, those are like my jam. Those are my kryptonite. Those are my weakness. But now every time I go into the pantry and grab the box, I notice it's a little bit lighter because my wife has picked up my Cheez-It habit as well. Jerks. Uh, How is there ever any amount of Cheez-Its left in the box after you've put your hand in? Like if I eat Cheez-Its, I eat all the Cheez-Its. There's never a partial box consumption. It's the entire thing, buddy. That's a great point. It goes in and bam, down the gullet. That's a great point. Peace out. I already, I already gave away too much. <laughs> Crowd man, that'll do it for today's show. I appreciate you sitting in. It's fun as always. Uh, Mount, I know. Every Mountaineer time, Nation Radio it, picks up uh, on this same channel here in about five <laughs> minutes, so just just stay locked in. What were you going to say? Every time I get uh, I get asked to do the show, I'm always like, oh, man, I'm not going to have any time to prepare for the other show. 
And then I always find a time to prepare for the other show, and then I have fun with you. So it's always it's always my pleasure, my friend. I mean, Seriously. you know, you can also kind of refurbish. Thanks for me. If you want to refurbish some of the, you know, the incredible jokes, the wit, the humor, the stuff that, you know, we brought to the table today, I mean, you got my permission. I'm going to open the show at 4 o'clock on ESPN Pittsburgh, and I'm going to say, oh, I got cut off 15 times on the highway today coming into my bedroom where I'm doing the show. Or you're going to go, you know what? I really like this Washington football team. It reminds me of a European soccer franchise. I'll tell you what, and I hate the wave. It does. I'm so happy we're not going to have to see the wave this season at baseball games. 412-919-1316. It's the Adam Crowley Show. For those of you unfamiliar with the crowd, man, you can hear him every day, 4 to 7 on ESPN Pittsburgh. Catch him there today. Uh, Another quick plug for the podcast, right? Steelers Blitz with a Z. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find the show uploaded there daily, on demand, free. It's like Netflix, but without a charge. No commercials. Again, Steelers Blitz with a Z. That'll do it for Adam. Listen to him at 4 o'clock. Follow him again on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Motsi back in the saddle tomorrow on a Friday. We'll have some fun and also, oh, I'm twitching. Oh, yeah, I'm scratching my neck because we got real sports this weekend and you know what that means tomorrow on the program. Oh, it's the return of everybody's favorite Eula remote segment. Tomorrow on the show, it's time to get that paper. Show me the money. Show me the money! We're back tomorrow at high noon, as always, and you know where to find us on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, Steelers Nation Radio.